Section eighteen of Cleek of Scotland Yard by Thomas W. Hanshu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fifteen. It is a recognized fact in police circles that crime has a curious propensity for indulging in periodical outbursts of great energy, great fecundity, and then lapsing into a more or less sporadic condition for a time like a gorged tiger that drowses and stirs only to lick its chops after a hideous feast so that following the lines of these fixed principles the recent spell of criminal activity was succeeded by a sort of lull and the next two weeks were idle ones for cleek idle but idyllic from his point of view for he was back in the little house in the pleasant country lands now with his walled garden, his ferns and his flowers, and the full glory of tulip time was here. And soon another glory would be here as well. In twelve more days she would be back in England. In twelve more days he and Dollops would move out, and Ailsa Lorne would move in and this little Eden in the green and fragrant meadowlands would have another tenant from that time forth. But hers would not be a lonely tenancy, however, for Captain Horatio Burbage had recently written to Mrs. Condiment that, as the sleeping mermaid seemed likely to prove an unprofitable investment after all and to bring her little reward for her labours, he purposed relinquishing it and recalling old Joseph to him, and with that end in view had already secured for the good lady a position of companion housekeeper to one Miss Ailsa Lorne, who in the early part of June would call upon her at her present quarters and personally conduct her and the deaf and dumb maid of all work to their future ones. Here, then, in this bower of bloom, would this dear girl of his heart await the coming of that glorious day when the last act of restitution had been made the last vanishing cracksman debt wiped off the slate and he could go to her clean-handed at last to ask the fulfilment of her promise remembering that it was a sheer delight to be free from all yard calls for a time that he might give his whole attention to the work of getting the place ready for her. And day after day he was busy in the high-walled old-world garden, digging, planting, pruning, that when she came it might be brimming over with flowers. But although he devoted himself mind and body to this task, and lived each day within the limits of that confining wall, he had not wholly lost touch with the world at large, for each morning the telephone, installed against the time of Ailsa's tenancy, put him into communication with Mr. Narkom at the yard, and each night a newspaper carried into him by Dollops kept him abreast of the topics of the times. It was over that telephone he received the first assurance that his haste in getting out of Yorkshire had not been an unnecessary precaution his suspicions regarding the probable action of the Nosworths not ill-grounded, 
for mr narkom was able to inform him that carefully made inquiries had elicited the intelligence that within two days of the round-house affair men who were undoubtedly foreigners were making diligent inquiries throughout the west riding regarding the whereabouts of two men and a boy who had been travelling about in a two-horsed caravan that sudden bolt of ours was a jolly good move old chap said the superintendent when he made this announcement it did the beggars absolutely shouldn't be a bit surprised if they'd chucked the business as a bad job and gone back to the continent disgusted at any rate none of my plain-clothes men has seen hide nor hair of one of the lot since either in town or out valdemar too seems to have hooked it and can't be traced so i reckon we've seen the last of him but cleek was not so sure of that he had his own ideas as to what this disappearance of the apaches meant and did not allow himself to be lulled into any sense of security by it there were more ways than one in which to catch a weasel he recollected and determined not to relax his precautions in the smallest iota when next the yard's call for his services should come that it would come soon he felt convinced as the days advanced that rounded out the end of his second week of freedom from it and what form it would take when it did come was a matter upon which he could almost have staked his life so sure he felt of it for a time of great national excitement great national indignation had arrived and the press had made him acquainted with all the circumstances connected therewith as why not when the whole country was up in arms over it and every newspaper in the land headlined it in double caps and poured forth the story in full detail it had its genesis in something which had happened at gosport in the preceding week and happened in this startling manner in the waterway between barrow island and the extreme end of the royal clarence victualling yard there had been found floating the body of a man of about five-and-thirty years of age fully and fashionably clothed and having all those outward signs which betoken a person of some standing it was evident at once that death must have been the result of accident and that the victim had been unable to swim for the hands were encased in kid gloves the coat was tightly buttoned and a pair of field glasses in a leather case still hung from the long shoulder strap which supported the weight of them the victim's inability to swim was established by the fact that he had made no effort to rid himself of these hampering conditions and was clinging tightly to a foot-long bit of driftwood which he must have clutched at as it floated by it was surmised therefore that the man must have fallen into the water in the dark either from the foreshore or from some vessel or small boat in which he was journeying at the time and had been carried away by the swift current and drowned without being missed the condition of the body clearly establishing the fact that it had been in the water for something more than a fortnight when found later it was identified by one of the deck-hands of the pleasure steamer which cruises round the isle of wight daily as being that of a man he had seen aboard that vessel on one of its night trips to alum bay between two or three weeks previously 
and still later it was discovered that a boatman in that locality had been hired to take a gentleman from the needles to a yacht lying out to sea that selfsame night and that the gentleman in question never turned up what followed gave these two circumstances an appalling significance for when the body was carried to the mortuary and its clothing searched for possible clues to identification there was found upon it a sealed packet addressed simply a steinmuller königstrasse eight and inside that packet there were two unmounted photographs of the exterior of blockhouse fort and the south sea fort a more or less accurate ground-plan drawing of the interior of the portsmouth dockyard together with certain secret information relative to supplies and to the proposed armament of cruisers now undergoing alteration and re-equipment the wrath and amazement engendered by that discovery however were as nothing compared with the one which so swiftly followed brought up before the admiral superintendent and the board john beachman the dockmaster who alone knew these things outside of the admiralty was obliged to admit that one person and one only his eldest son was in a position to obtain admission to the safe in which he kept his private papers and that son was engaged to a young lady whom he had met during a holiday tour on the continent english or foreign he was asked to which he replied that she was english or at least english by birth although her late father was a german he had become naturalized before his death and was wholly in sympathy with the country of his adoption he did not die in it however circumstances had caused him to visit the united states and he had been killed in one of the horrible railway disasters for which that country was famous it was because the daughter was thus left orphaned and was so soon to become the wife of their son that he and mrs beachman had taken her into their home in advance of the marriage they did not think it right that she should be left to live alone and unprotected considering what she was so soon to become to them so they had taken her into the home and their son had arranged to sleep at an hotel in portsmouth pending the date of the wedding the lady's name was hillman miss greta hillman she was of extremely good family and quite well-to-do in her own right she had never been to germany since the date of the engagement she had relatives there however one in particular a baron von ziegelmund and his son axel the son had visited england twice once many months back and the last time some seven or eight weeks ago they liked him very much the bridegroom-elect especially so they had become very great friends indeed no axel von ziegelmund was no longer in england he had left it something like a month ago he was on a pleasure trip round the world he had heard but had no idea where he had gone when he left portsmouth two hours after this statement was made if the populace could have got hold of young harry beachman it would have torn him to pieces 
for it was then discovered that the drowned man was no less a person than this herr axel von siegelmund and that they had not only spent the greater part of that particular day shut up in the former's room in the portsmouth hotel but had been together up to the very moment when the excursion steamer had started on its moonlight trip to alum bay and to the bringing about of that providential accident which had prevented the state affairs of an unsuspecting nation from being betrayed to a secret foe what followed was in the face of this of course but natural john beachman was suspended immediately and his son's arrest ordered it served no purpose that he denied indignantly the charge of being a traitor and swore by every sacred thing that the hours spent in his room at the hotel were passed in endeavouring to master the intricacies of the difficult german card-game skart and that never in all their acquaintance had one word touching upon the country or the country's affairs passed between axel von siegelmund and himself so help him god it was in vain also that greta hillmann shouting hysterically her belief in him and begging wildly that if he must be put into prison she might be taken with him and murdered when you murder him if he is to be court-martialled and shot you wretched blunderers it was in vain that greta hillman clung to him and fought with all her woman's strength to keep the guard from laying hands upon him or to tear her from his side the outraged country demanded him and took him in spite of all nor did it turn the current of sympathy in his direction that crazed when they tore him from her this frantic creature had gone from swoon to swoon until her senses left her entirely and the end was tragedy the full details were never forthcoming the bare facts were that she was carried back to beachman's house in a state of hysteria bordering close upon insanity and that when under orders from the admiralty that house and all its contents were impounded pending the fullest inquiry into the dockmaster's books and accounts the admiral superintendent and the appointed auditor entered into possession her condition was found to be so serious that it was decided not to insist upon her removal for a day or two at least a nurse was procured from the naval hospital and put in charge of her but at some period during the fourth night of that nurse's attendance and when she worn out by constant watching slept in her chair the half delirious patient arose and leaving a note to say that life had lost all its brightness for her and if they cared to find her they might look for her in the sea vanished entirely she could scarcely have hit upon a worse thing for the evil repute of her lover's name or her own for those who had never known her personally were quick to assert that this was proof enough of how the thing had been managed in short that she too was a spy and that she had adopted this subterfuge to get back to germany before the scent grew hot and the law could lay a hand upon her those who had known her took a more merciful view so far as she was concerned but one which made things look all the blacker for her lover 
what could her desperation and her utter giving up all hope even before the man was put on trial mean if it was not that she knew he was guilty knew he would never get off with his life and that her suicide was a tacit admission of this end of section eighteen